Uh, there are no pressing announcements. I suppose another pressing announcement actually would be Bill Gillette will be my reaffirmation of faith, uh, joining the church. So that's a praise. And otherwise, nothing else going on this week. Uh, next week, yeah, I'll be going to Philadelphia for the General Assembly of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church as a um, commissioner, I think is the technical term, for our presbytery. So, and prayer for that. It's a full day, every day, from... Nine to nine, although we have breaks in between, but um, you don't get to go very far. You're always on campus and the things like that. So prayerfully, uh, God will work through the assembly, and many good things, as often is the case, will be accomplished. We have the call to worship, when God calls the world, and his people in particular, to come before him and to submit to him. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Let's bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. stand and let us sing hymn 451 451 
Amen. Let us pray. We indeed plead your gracious name, God Almighty, for your loving kindness through Christ Jesus, our Lord, for bringing us into the covenant of grace by your wonderful, wonderful mercies shed abroad upon us. We pray this morning, God Almighty, that we would draw nigh unto you through faith in Christ Jesus, and not look to ourselves, Lord, but look to the gospel promise, to be encouraged to know that your spirit is with us, and we have your truth and your word. We pray these things, God Almighty, in accordance to the Lord's Prayer, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the As it was in the beginning, it is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We have the reading of Psalm 49 inside the bulletin, or at least part of it. It wouldn't, wouldn't fit unless I had a very small font, and I want to be considerate. Let's say insert here. Let us read it together as God's word. Or, excuse me, call and response. I'll read the bold-faced, and you read the non-bold-faced. Hear this, all peoples, give ear all inhabitants of the world. My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. Why should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity at my heels surrounds me? None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. That he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. Though while he lives, he blesses himself, for men will praise you when you do well for yourself. A man who is an honor yet understands not is like the beasts that perish. And so here he you see the theme of the contrast between himself and the rich and those who depend upon their wealth and riches. We know the pharaohs brought a bunch of stuff with them in their grave, and it's still there. We've dug it up, didn't come with them at all. We read that literally here. It says it will not go with them. And so we should not put our trust in the things of this world, that is the trust of our soul in heaven but in Christ Jesus, or in this case, the Messiah to come, the Messiah for us who has already come. Let us pray. And God Almighty, 
Lord above. We're thankful, Lord, for your word and for the Psalms that express lots of truth and theology and practical living and, and also many human situations and emotions, as we'll see this afternoon. For God, it shows us that you are a Lord and a Father to us who understands our weaknesses, who understands our situation, and expresses to us in these words, Lord, at our level of understanding, that you are there, that you've given us your word, you've given us the promise of Christ Jesus and redemption forevermore. And we shall not perish like the beast, God, but live forever with you in eternity. We're thankful for your goodness, God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, for just existing as evidence of your goodness and the things that you do for us, Lord, in creation and in providence, for giving us our needs, for giving us our wants, Lord, and for protecting us from our foolishness. And not just ourselves, God, your goodness extends to the four corners of the earth, to those who follow not you, who care nothing for you, God. The rain is given to them as well as the food and the sunshine. And as we know, God, it's given to them to remind them of their need to repent. And nevertheless, God, we still have our sins we struggle with as Christians, for we are not perfect in thought, word, and deed. And although we are called saints, we are called saints because of the righteousness of Christ and the work of the Spirit within us. And it's all of you from first to last. We forget in the midst of this trials, the valley of tears that we find ourselves in, Lord, to praise your name, to use the means of grace, uh, to reflect upon your goodness towards us at times, God, and whatever sins of omission that occur in our lives, help us, God, to acknowledge them and repent of them. We pray that we continue to read your word, to not only learn to avoid sin and embrace righteousness, as the call of holiness is in this short series, but also, God, to feed upon the promises of Jesus Christ that, yes, our sanctification, our being set aside from this world, morally speaking, uh, that our, our call and urging to be obedient to your word and thought, word, and deed, fail and is limited, and yet it is real growth, as you tell us in your word. Help us to be encouraged thereby, God, and always look to Christ Jesus and the cross. We lift up our nation before you, as we covered in the fifth commandment this morning. Lord God, to pray for uh, those near us, to pray for our nation that has birthed us and given us a safe harbor for our family and our grandparents and our great-grandparents, God, for many generations. We pray in particular, Lord, for the national level and the national leaders that we have, both the judges and the senators and the president, that, God, you would guide them through your providence to avoid the wicked and embrace the right and the good, even if it's against their policy, Lord. We've seen that happen over and over again. We ask, God, that you would give them prudence and wisdom uh, to protect us from things and from local issues as well, God, to have uh, a natural Fifth Commandment understanding that they are like fathers and mothers to us, God, and they should take care of us and not just tell us to eat cake and buy Teslas or whatever else they may be thinking. And not just one party, the other party and all other parties and politicians, it seems, have confusions in these matters. And so we pray, God, that they would embrace the good. We pray for righteous laws across this land for the sake of our neighbors, but especially for your church. We pray for our state as well, and our local county and city, that you'd be with our magistrates there, and Lord, for the mayors, and for the judges, and for the police officers, that they too would do the right thing. And we think in particular, as we grieve God, uh, for the encase, encoding of the law of abortion into our Constitution, Lord, through the laws uh, of the state of Colorado. It's a wicked, heinous thing, God. We pray that these things would be overturned. We pray for the protection again for Innocent folk 
and especially for the Church of God to exercise our freedom of religion, exercise, Lord, our opportunities to provide for our family, God, in the midst of a difficult economy. We pray, God, also not only for our leaders. We pray, God, not just for the leaders of governments and laws, but also the leaders of society and influence upon such things, Lord, in their own ways. And our hearts go out, God, to those in the school massacre. And, Lord, and prior to that, elsewhere in Buffalo as well, we ask and pray that somehow, some way, that they have access to the word of truth, to a church, to a pastor, to a Christian who is willing to read the word of God to them, to show them that this world is full of tears and misery and death. And there's a reason for that. It's because of sin. And not just the sin of Adam, but our own sins, God Almighty, and that they would see and need and see their need of a Savior above. It is difficult times, Lord, be used for your glorious name's sake, God, to bring more into your kingdom, we pray. We ask, Lord, for proper resolutions, whatever it may be. It can be very complicated issues sometimes, God, and the local matters as well. And although it sometimes seems like there's an easy answer, often we find out there's not. We have many laws that don't do many things, God, not because they're bad laws, but because there's lots of bad people. And so, Lord, again, we pray and ask and that those who are Christians in those situations would be a light into a dark world. We pray for the protection of the truth in our society, where more and more lies are being propagated in various and sundry fronts, Lord, um, and that affect our church, and affect our businesses sometimes, and affects our families. Help us, God, to stand firm from all the propaganda around us, and to embrace your truth in the Word and in the world around us, the, the world that you created that has much truth in the sciences, as we know, for example. And Lord God, Spirit of Truth, we ask that you would help the church stay pure from the bad influences around us, especially our children and the youth around us, God, that they would stand firm and strong against such things around them, such drawings and siren calls of a supposed blessedness that's outside the church that doesn't exist. We pray for your church, God, to grow here in America, to stand firm, to preach the whole counsel of God, to continue to show love for one another, to Rejoice when others rejoice, to weep when others weep. Lord God, be with us this day to focus upon you, to rejoice in the promise of Christ's return, a new heaven and new earth. Amen. We now have the tithes and offerings. Heavenly 
Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. We ask God Almighty that these tithes and offerings would be given out of hearts of gratitude and love for you, and that they would be blessed and multiplied, even in the midst of difficulties we find ourselves in, God, and give the church wisdom to use them for the good of those in need. In your name we pray, for your glorious name's sake. Amen. While we are standing, let us turn to Psalm 86a. We will sing Psalm 86a, verses 1 through 5. Apostles' Creed, which is in the insert, green insert of the hymnal, hymnal, the Apostles' Creed. Some variations of it were already found in the 200s. The last apostle probably died near 100 A.D., John the Apostle. Let us read it together as a summary of the Christian faith, a very broad summary. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven 
and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come, judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. Amen. If Bill Gillette would please come forward. on you. It's dark over there. You'll be hiding in the dark. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank our God for the grace that was given you and that you have accepted God's promise of salvation and publicly confessed your faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ. We rejoice that God in his gracious providence has brought you into this congregation and given you a desire to reaffirm the faith that you have previously professed and to unite with us. We ask that you testify before us to the faith that you profess by giving assent to the following questions. Do you believe the Bible consisting of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God and its doctrine of salvation to be the perfect and only true doctrine of salvation? Yes. Do you believe in one living and true God in whom eternally there are three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who are the same in being and equal in power and glory, and that Jesus Christ is God the Son come in the flesh? Do you confess that because of your sinfulness, you abhor and humble yourself before God, that you repent of your sin, that you trust for salvation not in yourself, but in Jesus Christ alone? Do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your sovereign Lord, and do you promise that in reliance on the grace of God, you will serve him with all that is in you, forsake the world, resist the devil, put to death your sinful deeds and desires, and lead a godly life? Do you promise to participate faithfully in this church's worship and service, to submit in the Lord to its government, and to heed its discipline, even in case you should be found delinquent in doctrine and in life? As Bill is received into full communion in the church, the whole congregation is obligated to receive him, for in Christ we are members one of another. Christ claims this brother as his own and calls you to serve him in love. Therefore, we ought to commit, you ought to commit yourself before God to assist Bill and his Christian nurture by godly example, prayer, and encouragement in our most precious faith and in the fellowship of believers. Beloved, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I welcome you to the privilege of full communion with the congregation of God's people. I charge you to continue steadfastly in the confession that you have made, humbly relying upon the grace of God in the diligent use of the means of grace, especially the word of God, sacraments, and prayer. Rest assured that if you confess Christ before men, he will confess you before his Father who is in heaven. May the God of all grace, who called you unto his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, perfect, establish, and strengthen you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Welcome. Let us turn to our Bibles to Leviticus 19. As we talk about what we just read about, and part of the admonition to him at the end, I read that he continue in the means of grace, especially the word, the sacraments, and prayer. And so we will talk about those and the means of grace in general. 
In Leviticus chapter 19, I found a way to use Leviticus again. Leviticus 19, 5 through 8. I think you'll see why here. Let us listen attentively to the word of God. And if you offer a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. It shall be eaten on the same day you offer it and on the next day. And if any remains until the third day, it shall be burned with fire. And if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Let us pray. And here, God, we read of sacrifices, peace offering, Lord, expressing in outward form the relationship those who believe in the Messiah to come had with God Almighty, that is, they are at peace and reconciled through the sacrifice to come of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we may we learn anew, if we've forgotten, the importance of the means of grace on how God used, how you used the sacrifices of old as a means for growth and sanctification, to be more holy in this world, and in particular, Lord, with respect to worship. And so, Lord, that principle still applies today, as we shall see, God. And may that encourage us to persevere in the worship of your name and the use of the means of grace you've given us for our growth to be more like Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Here we have those Old Testament ceremonial laws that are foreign and esoteric. Strange. It seems as though this is how the Jews appeased God by making sacrifices, as though the Lord of heaven and earth needed sacrifices and some kind somehow was hungry and needed to eat these things. We know that's not the case. Rather, God gave these ceremonies as means to worship the Lord, as well as holy worship in particular, that our worship is to be separated from sin and consecrated unto righteousness which is what I preached a few weeks ago on what the call of holiness is in chapter 19, to be set aside or separate from sin and consecrated or holy. That's another word for another synonym. Holy unto the Lord, unto righteousness and obedience. And here in particular with respect to worship, but just like the rest of life as well. What is different about these verses is that they deal with the outward forms of worship that have indeed changed. We do not have to have animal sacrifices anymore. The book of Hebrews is clear on that. It argues convincingly, that's why we have a New Testament, that Christ fulfilled those forms. They were just prophecies and active visual representation of a priest, of a temple, of a sacrifice, of an altar. All those pointed to the person and work of Christ who was to come with respect to the Old Testament, has already come now that we are here after the New Testament. And Hebrews argues, therefore, they are done away with. They have no more purpose. It should not be used anymore. Because Christ is substance and they are but the shadow. That's done. Yet as much as the outward form has changed, the substance has not, it is still a means of holiness. That is, God has given means of holiness, instruments in his hands, in the church, that we could be more like him and less like sin. And the sacrifices of old did that, and we have things in the New Testament that also have an equivalent function. Although the outward form has changed, and we know those, of course, in particular, uh, to be the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, but also preaching, especially. And that's what we're going to cover. The means of grace, those ordinances from God used by the Spirit to help you grow in holiness. The ordinances of God 
used by the Spirit to help you grow in holiness. Those are the means of grace. The temple, the sacrifices, and the holy days, in fact, were instruments in the Spirit's hand for the Old Testament to become more like God, to be more godly. It's another synonym for holiness, another synonym for sanctification, for consecration, for separation. It's all the same idea, to be morally pure. They have been removed, as I pointed out in summary form, as we know, but what has not been removed is God still uses instruments. We shall look at that. The first main point is holiness through the means of grace in general. Holiness through the means of grace in general in this series on holiness in the Christian life. The history, we go through the history of the Bible. We see, I hope it's very instructive, that from the beginning God has given his people a means to grow in holiness. He's not simply saying, uh, thundering from Mount Sinai, saying, Be ye holy as I am holy, because he certainly says that in Leviticus. But as a father who loves his children, he gives us tools and instruments that we can use to become more holy, to become more like our Lord and Master. Now, as a background to that, one means of means, I think is perhaps the way to put it, a means of means, a meta-means, is just simply living. It is hard to use the means of grace, right, to have the sacrament of baptism and the Lord's Supper, to come to church and hear preaching, to read the Bible. I'm already telling you some of the means of grace already. If you're sick, because you don't have a good diet and don't take care of yourself. So it presupposes, in other words, using the means of grace, that you have the means of the means, that you take care of your body, that you get the sleep you need, you get your food, you get your shelter, and God certainly gave his people those things. He gave them a community, Noah and his family, Abraham and his family, and his servants as well. Gave them an ark, gave them all those things that they needed to persevere in their holiness, but he gave them more, of course. He gave them prayer. There we have the means of grace. Men began to call, call upon the name of the Lord, we read in Genesis 4. Noah prayed, Abraham prayed, pleaded with God. Our Father in his mercy gave us a way to talk to him, and that's through prayer, both private and public, both individual and group. Prayer comes unbidden from the heart of the saved, because we have the spirit of truth within us. He not only gave them prayer, he gave them the sacrificial system. And that's before... Moses, obviously here in Leviticus, most of it covers the sacrifices and the priests and the temple and everything else. Moses has a a litany that is the Mosaic Covenant, that whole era from Moses to the time of Christ, in which the Old Testament church was given all these ways of sacrificing, of being holy and separate clothing and what you can eat and not eat, as an outward representation, a tool to instruct us unto holy living. But before that time, Noah himself and Abraham, what? Gave whole burnt offerings, they're called. Where you devoured by the fires the entire animal on the altar. You did not eat any of it. And that's a picture of your total consecration before God. And Christ's total consecration for us. Because Christ is represented in the symbolism of the sacrifice. But also, as I argued last week, the symbolism of the sacrifices point to our sanctification as well. Because we are united with Christ. And so that's what we read in these verses. Activities given, in this case the peace offering, to the Old Testament church to help them become more holy. 
It's a means of holiness or a means of grace is the old word we have in our tradition. We call it other things, but you might confuse somebody. So we have a common language of describing a common idea. We call it the means of grace. The ordinances, the things God has given us, used by the Spirit to help us to become more holy or more sanctified. He not only gave them prayer before Moses, <laughs> he not only gave them the sacrificial system, the sacrifices before Moses, he also gave them his word. God gave him the spoken word, of course, where he spoke from heaven, spoke from a burning bush, and explained his mercy and gave him his law because they were his people. Noah built the ark, and Moses gave the law. This is what God has done. He has spoken to his people and given them direction in their life to be what? Holy, to obey him, to follow him, for we are his servants and he is our master. This is the calling of a Christian life and the means he has given us to become more like that. Prayer, Old Testament sacrificial system, and the word. Going through the history should remind us it really hasn't changed, has it? Do we not have prayer in the New Testament? Yeah. Do we not have preaching in the New Testament? God's word given to us. Yes, not just spoken from heaven. God also spoke through men of the Old Testament, the prophets. They were preachers. I'm just a preacher, not a prophet, but they were prophets and preachers. It was one and the same uh, for them. And so God also has given us preachers today, as we'll talk about a little later. But he's also given us that second element, not sacrifices anymore, but sacraments. A sign and seal of the covenant of grace. It is a means, that is, baptism and the Lord's Supper, to be more holy. Like the sacrifices of old were means to be more holy. So the substance is the same, although the form may have changed. We no longer have prophets. The form has changed. You have me, sorry. You don't get Jeremiah or Isaiah. I don't speak infallible words like they did. If you're a prophet, you speak infallible words. You can write it down. This is God's word. You can't argue against this. I can only preach and try to convince you from the word of God. So, this is what God has given us of old in the Old Testament. We see the history of it and development of it to some extent. And it's still with us in the New Testament because God loves us and cares for his people. And has given us not only the means to live everyday life, as I said before, sleep and diet and exercise, even community, where... It's best not to live in isolation. You need somebody around you. Even the hardcore survivalist wants somebody eventually. But beyond that, he has given us the formal means of grace, the instruments of the Spirit, prayer, the sacraments, and preaching. So properly speaking, the means of grace are particular activities, ordinances given by God for spiritual ends. They are not magic Just doing them does not mean you'll grow. That's what some churches teach, that is the Roman Catholic Church, for example, that in the taking of the element itself, you just, boom, magical things happen, you become more holy, you become more sanctified because it's magic food. That's literally what they teach. No, no, no. And this is why I mentioned the means of the means of grace, right? The everyday things you have to do if you want to read the Bible. Are you going to read the Bible if you haven't slept very well? No. <laughs> if you're distracted? If you're hungry? No. 
And so what we have in our tradition, and we see it in our catechism, for example, that we have to take care of ourselves, that we have the proper frame of mind, the proper frame of the body, so that when we read the Bible, we have the full growth thereby and the full understanding of the Bible without distraction, without being tired and falling asleep. To read the Bible carefully. To use the means he gives us to read. To know how to read. To look up a word if we don't know what that word is. Sometimes there's hard words in the Bible. So we have Bible dictionaries. Ask me, and I'll point one to you. But the means of grace are effectual by faith. You believe in Christ to come, and you believe he has given you this to help you grow, to become more like Jesus, and you grow thereby. That's not magic. That's not just acting upon it itself, and therefore it works regardless of your faith. That's why the Roman Catholic Church doesn't emphasize Faith alone, like the Protestants do. Because we believe the means of grace need faith eventually, somewhere along the line. Like in the case of baptism, uh, we pray the children grow up and have that faith. And the means of grace are not whatever you make up in your head. Churches, unfortunately, even Protestant churches come along and make up new things and call them, without calling them means of grace, they functionally use them as a means of grace. As somehow, if we don't have this element or something in our life, not just in worship, because you can have preaching outside of worship, for example, right? That they can't grow without it. And that's simply not true. The means of grace are given by God for your growth in Christ, and it's through faith, not magic. So that's the means of grace in general. God has given us these ordinances to to be used for spiritual ends, for our growth, to be more like Jesus our Lord, to be more holy. Right? Separate from sin and consecrated unto righteousness. The means of grace in particular. Now, I want to give a context here to the means of grace in particular. It is not me and my Bible. That's a lot of the American way, unfortunately. Me and my Bible, and that's all I need. I can grow thereby, and everything's wonderful. But rather, the means of grace, both types, I'm going to talk about two types of means of grace, presuppose and necessitate a community, the church. In Leviticus, it's obvious, he gives the commandment to the whole body. We read in chapter 19, verse 1, speak to all the congregation, verse 2, of the children of Israel. And he explains to them the moral law and some of the ceremonial law, that is the means of grace there, the Old Testament worship system. And it's attended with an authority structure. You have priests, you have judges in the Old Testament church, and commands to help one another. That is, you're not supposed to live off on your own so far away from one another that you can't be, even be a neighbor anymore. You're like, you're on your own. It's not there. It's, it assumes and expresses and even commands that you help one another. There's one another passages here in the Old Testament as well. In the New Testament, it's the same. Yes, no more sacrifices. Praise be the Lord. I don't want to have to deal with bleeding sheep and smelly dead animals like the priest did. But we still have the church We still have the called out ones, to use the Hebrew word, separate from the world as holiness, as a community, as a body. That's why we're called the body of Christ, the body of the bride of God, and everything else in the Bible. We have it there in the New Testament clearly. We have church leaders. Who preaches but the pastor? Who disciplines and administers the sacraments but the elders? And the means of grace, therefore, are not reducible to individualism as they are in typical American thinking. Church discipline is part of that as well. 
If the church lets unbelievers have baptism, it would reduce its effect as a means of grace and reinforce unregenerate minds that they are something that they are not saved. And it would discourage all the believers like, what in the world? This person is living in gross, overt violation of God's law, blaspheming Jesus all the time with his mouth, and you're giving him baptism? What's up with that? And so the function of baptism and the means of grace, part of which is to visibly separate you from the world, you've been baptized, you have not, has been reduced to nothing. There's no longer a means of grace. And so discipline is assumed, therefore, in the use of the means of grace. Discipline, again, in a, in a community of the church. Because, again, lots of churches say, I have a community, we want to be a new family, because there's a big problem in America of isolationism, not being near anybody anymore, being alone. And the churches say, hey, we're going to fill that for you. Except, unfortunately, many churches won't give you the other part, which is a good disciplinary father. <laughs> a church with elders who take godliness and holiness seriously and will verbally discipline you if need be, and even more. Now, the power of discipline, as I go off slightly on a more detail here, it's not a tangent, it's still relevant to the means of grace presupposes a community, and that community presupposes discipline, or you don't have a community anymore. You don't have boundaries at the community anymore. Just let anybody come in and take elements of the, of, uh, the sacraments, for example. It's through formal and informal discipline, Right? Formally, that would be the eldership disciplining you and maybe eventually excommunicating you from the church. Informally, of course, we are called in Galatians, what? To admonish one another. You don't have to go to the, to the session and the ruling elders come up to somebody, even an officer in the church, and if it's a serious enough matter, to weigh that carefully, of course, you can talk to them, we preached on that last week, and admonish them or rebuke them or encourage them is another nicer way of saying, especially for the older uh, people with experience in life, older men and women, you should entreat them as a father and a mother, even as you are showing them their error. So we have this reciprocal relationship in the body of Christ and a way of disciplining without having to always bring charges. And so that is the assumed background of the means of grace wherein God has given his body. Now, there are two types of means of grace the way I describe it. Traditionally, um, they talk almost exclusively in terms of the means of grace of, well, prayer, sacraments, and preaching. But you need prayer outside the church. If you can't get to church, if you're in a wartime situation, for example, church is blown up, pastor's dead, now what? You can pray by yourself. Does that not help you grow? You read the Word of God. you got to have the Bible. Christians are people of the Word. So therefore you grow through reading the Bible. You grow in knowledge. You grow in admonition. You grow in encouragement. And so I have, I can't say traditionally, I'm not very old, but I have typically tried to say there's a private or informal, I'm not sure what word to use, means of grace that the Spirit uses to help you grow. Prayer, Bible reading, Family devotions, it's part of that, which can, can include singing and before God. And then the public or formal means of grace, when the pastor prays, when he administers the sacraments and worship, and when he preaches. But even when he preaches outside of church to the people of God and they believe by faith, I would think they're growing thereby. So it's not just exclusively for worship. Acts 2.41 and 42 is the traditional passage used to describe the means of grace. 
Our confession talks about ordinances. It says the, you know, communicates the grace of God through the ordinances of God, especially, it says, especially prayer and the sacraments and preaching. So it's not saying exclusively or only. That's why I believe I can talk about private or informal, or whatever word you want to use there, means of grace. So we read in Acts 2.41 or 42, and they, that is the disciples in the early church, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Breaking of bread may mean the Lord's Supper elsewhere. I think it's 50% of the time it just means they ate. You'll see it, I think, in verse 46, for example, and elsewhere. The other 50% of the time it means the Lord's Supper. So it's not clear if it's a specific Lord's Supper, but I, I, I'll say it is. It's the Lord's Supper. Doctrine clearly is the teaching, right? And probably the preaching of the apostles. And prayer. Well, there you go. But what else does it also say in this verse? Fellowship. So where do you put fellowship then? That's not traditionally in our systematic theologies one of the means of grace. And I would argue it's an assumed means of means, right? The idea of a fellowship and community that's there, or at least healthy community that helps you grow thereby. So the private means of grace, um, I would put Bible reading and memorization of your own or in your family. The Bible tells us the word of God is a lamp unto our feet, so let's use the lamp. It's like honey, sweeter than the honeycomb, so let's eat it. Jesus said, my words are truth and life, so let's devour it. All this necessitates the reading of the word, of hiding it in our hearts. So it's not just the pastor reading and preaching, and you're done, and throughout the rest of the week, you don't have to read the Bible, you don't have to pray, because I've got the means of grace. That's my point. Prayer. You want the pastor just to pray for you, and you're on your own, and you don't pray ever again? No, you use prayer, and God uses prayer to help you grow. More holy. To call upon God. And by the truth of his word, you do that privately, of course, whenever you need, throughout the week. You pray for help, you pray for guidance, you pray for mercy, you pray for encouragement, you pray for other people, that the Lord would be with them, and pray for the difficult situations and everything else. And of course, family worship, or what's today called devotions time, but used to be called family worship, of reading the Bible. The father, the house, should read the Bible, the husband of the house should read the Bible, He's there. Maybe explain a little bit, if possible. I'll have to be a big section. Use Matthew Henry, perhaps, a commentary. Pray as a family, and even sing some psalms and spiritual songs before God as a family. Bible studies, where would I put that? Probably here, but at the same time, it's led by your pastor. <laughs> and I hope that helps you grow. Now, of course, you don't have to do the Bible studies. Our church has never made a point of emphasizing that. I remember when Dr. Coppus, the original pastor here, that was one of the things he was keen on, that people not be pressured, unduly pressured, because they have busy lives, and they do. Um, but it's there for you. Now, lastly, what we traditionally talk about in our systematic theologies, for example, the means of grace, the public means of grace, the formal means of grace, that is, you can't enact it. It's an officer that's enacting the prayer, the sacraments, and the preaching. The public prayer of God he uses to bless his people in Christ's name. And that includes the benediction. That is the giving of a prayer of blessing, of good, goodness, Benny, right? Italians talk about that. It's good. It's a good thing. It's a good word. It's a good blessing. That's what I give at the end of the worship service. That's a prayer. He brings the request before the church. 
Now, I think typically pastors don't go into, into particulars. Um, at the pastor's prayer, the covenant prayer, uh, to cover everyone by name, as it were, but to cover lots of particular, uh, lots of categories of prayer, if possible, and certainly aware of the things going on in the church, and not just locally, but throughout the nation at times, to pray accordingly. And of course, God, Christ Jesus, our Lord, gives us what? With respect to prayer. The Lord's Prayer. <laughs> and so we read the Lord's Prayer. And you can pray it throughout the week. The sacraments. The Spirit of Truth gives us the sacraments to make us more holy as well, to set us aside unto a life of righteousness, baptism, of course, and communion, or the Lord's Supper, or sometimes called the Eucharist. And both are unique and have unique roles to help us to become holy. Baptism is a visible separation of God's people from the holy, unholy world. And the Lord's Supper symbolizes our need of Christ and our feeding upon Him by faith and our confession of Him as well. Both are used by the Spirit to strengthen your weak faith. And that's part of the growth of holiness, to be stronger in your trust in God and His Word and in Christ Jesus. To turn your eyes upon Him and His Gospel, that is, the good news. To know that He is with us and we can be holy and that we are His. The sacraments are the signs and seals of the covenant of grace. You don't have to remember that word, but baptism and communion are part of the Christian life. They are the New Testament equivalent in the sense of the means of grace, the public means of grace, in the context of worship of the Old Testament sacrificial system, except instead of all those multitude of sacrifices now reduced to the simple acts, celebrating the one sacrifice, because they are not a sacrifice, that is the sacrament of the Lord's Supper of Christ Jesus. And baptism, of course, points to the work of Christ as well. And then lastly, not just prayer, and not just the sacraments, but preaching. The Word of God, the teaching of the truth of the Gospel and of His Word, is a means of grace. In fact, it is a means of grace that is the Word and preaching comes upon the Word and is based upon the Word. Teaching is based upon the Word. Prayer should be in accordance to the Word. You don't pray contrary to the Word of God, do you? Or contrary to the truth therein? Of course not. And you praise God in song and hymn that's not contrary to the Word of God, but in accordance to the Word of God. And thus, the Word of God is the means of grace par excellence, upon which all other means of grace depend. Because you cannot have a godly fellowship and a godly church and godly discipline, which are the means of the means. And you cannot have the means of grace without the truth of God's word. How do you know of Christ? Through natural revelation, through scientific investigation, they have their place. You do not find Christ there, but you find him in the word of God. And you find the truth of God and the Trinity and of the gospel of good news and of covenant of grace in the word of God. And that's why I end on that point. Romans 10.5 So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That, brothers and sisters, is the importance of preaching. Our Heavenly Father gave us the means of grace. Not to make life harder. Oh, I have to do one more thing, perhaps. 
people are thinking, but to make life more holy and pure by His grace. Let us then not skip the means of grace, the tools of the Spirit to make us more holy, given for our good, but rather to embrace them while always relying not upon the means themselves, but upon the author of the means, that He would use them as He wills for our good and His glory. Let us pray. We praise you, Almighty God above, for coming down to our level, not just giving us the word and speaking from heaven, but giving us instruments, as in the case of baptism, where we can feel the water upon us. In the case of preaching, we can hear your word reverberate upon our ears, Lord, and see a man of flesh and blood like us, passionate about your word, and therefore encouraging us and guiding us and even admonishing us to be more like Jesus. You've given us these things, Lord, because you know we are creatures of body, and we hear things and touch things and have senses, Lord. And we are weak and need these things. And so you've given us these things to help strengthen our faith, to become more like Jesus. Help us, God, to embrace them, Lord, again, as means, not as those that replace you, God, but as instruments in your hands. Help us to grow thereby, we pray, to grow in reliance upon Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing Psalm 119R. We're not going to sing the entire Psalm 119. 119R. of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.